0: I'm lying in my bed, my mind drifts to you, but I'm way too good for you, yeah, you know it, I'm way too good for you, yeah, I'm on-
1: Today on the podcast, I am joined uh, by Amber. How are you?
2: Yeah, I'm good. How are you, Dave?
1: Good, good. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna start off with our little kind of preamble before we get into the interview by talking about tennis.
2: Oh no, that's not good because I haven't watched any of Wimbledon.
1: You know about Emma? <laughs> I can't pronounce her surname. Rad- 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 Radicano.
2: I do. I, I do, well, I've kind of seen like on Twitter that obviously she had to retire but i don't really know the reason like she just came over all dizzy is that right i don't really know a great deal about this
1: um yeah so she she basically uh her breathing was out of control her heart rate was very high um she it's pushed pushed herself to the the limits of her ability at that time she's 18 years old it was the biggest match of her career um and uh she just she just emotionally physically i suppose it was it was overwhelming and that's part of that's part of a learning experience for her, right? Um, the reason why I wanted... Oh, well, I'll come back around to the reason why I'm bringing this up in relation to the interview. Mm-hmm. There, there was, though, a really lovely tweet of support from Marcus Rashford to oh. her basically saying that it happened to him in an under-16 game um, and uh, for, for England versus Wales and that she should take heart from it and not worry too much type thing, which I thought was very lovely.
2: I did see that actually and she responded and I think she was really touched by it so um yeah yeah I thought that was really sweet you know what I just don't think that guy can do anything wrong I just think he just just seems like such a lovely guy like everything he does everything he stands for I'm yeah I'm all for it because he just seems to be just an angel like he just seems so lovely like when I read that tweet I was like you know what I'd expect nothing less from from you, Marcus. I say it like I know him.
1: <laughs> uh, look, the reason why I'm mentioning that is that uh, today's interview is all about giving opportunities to people, who young people who wouldn't normally have those opportunities uh, through speakers for schools, um, uh, and going specifically into state schools and helping kids again who wouldn't normally have an opportunity to, to kind of experience what what might be possible. And in a way, she's a wonderful example of, of something a bit like that because tennis is a notoriously elite support, um, sport, rather, which takes a hell of a lot of money normally and privilege to break into. Uh, there are some notable expect- uh, ex- exceptions, I can't speak today, uh, including kind of the Williams sisters and so on. But Emma Radicanu, um, from Kent not from privileged background, grew up playing tennis with a dad on local courts. Mum and dad don't have any money. And it's just great to see someone coming through and doing so well, despite not having necessarily the same um, privileges as, as as people who who normally make it on the tour.
2: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it is nice that she's not having to come from a really wealthy background to be sort of where she is at the moment. And I just think... When I think we'll probably obviously go into it a lot more sort of in the interview and stuff, but like, yeah, just like the opportunities that she's she's sort of like been given, and obviously the fact that she's had to really like graft and work hard, and and obviously to to get to where she is. I really hope that, like Marcus said, she comes back and and this is a big sort of life lesson, and she sort of comes back next year, sort of you know, bigger and better and stronger. Um,
1: She absolutely will, Mm. got no doubt on that but I thought it was nice. I thought it was a nice kind of story. I thought the fact that she's got some quite different beginnings to what you might imagine someone has in that sport was worth drawing attention to. And it's a nice little segue into uh, Speakers for Schools. So we'll hand over to the interview anyway, which is is Rachel Saunders, and we'll be back with some commentary afterwards. So today I'm talking to Rachel Saunders. Uh, Rachel, thanks for the time.
3: Thanks so much.
1: You're the Education and Policy Director at Speaker for Schools. Um, First of all, up until about a week ago, I have to confess, I hadn't heard of Speaker for Schools. So that would probably be a really good place to start, right?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So um, we're a social ability charity and um, set up originally with a speakers program, um, founded by Robert Peston, who's ITN's um, political editor, to, to mobilise his network to make sure that young people in state schools could hear from people who are at the top of their game and, and be inspired to to, to achieve and, and to do more and you know to be everything everything that they can be, um, and then. So that's 10 years ago. And then at the beginning of this pandemic, um, we created and and scaled up a brand new concept, which is virtual work experience. So um, online platform, online portal um, where young people can apply for for work experience placements. And then um, we're also launching something called the Youth Card, which is um, an app which hopefully will be in every young person's phone over the summer. Um, Meaning that opportunities like speakers and work experience, but also commercial discounts and lots of other opportunities are Yeah, in their phone, in the palm of their hand.
1: Now, you mentioned state schools, and that's lovely for me to hear because I went to state school. Uh, (laughs) I went to a school that, to be perfectly honest, so my dad was... was vicar of our local town. And my mum mm-hmm. and dad sent me to the worst school because they said it <laughs> said more about supporting the well, school. Well,
3: hopefully your parents <laughs> helped it get better. That's the power of parents, isn't
1: it? Yeah, <laughs> I did fine out of it, to be fair. My mum, my who is also a teacher, looked at the two schools in the town and went, this one gets selective students and actually gets yeah. pretty comparable results to the, to the comp that doesn't get selective students. So those teachers are probably doing a better job. Um, yeah. But it's great to hear that this is is aimed at state schools. The the point before my random diatribe is why (laughs) state schools?
3: Um so 93% of, of children in this country go to state schools. So it really is almost everybody. And um, despite that, you know, the upper echelons of, of the professions and you know many of the top jobs in this country are still dominated by people who went to private schools. So when you kind of reflect on, you know, why is that, you know, um talent is you know spread equally um across the country, but opportunity isn't um and some of it has to be about networks and who you know and who you've had the chance to meet so um really what we're trying to do is to break through that and to make sure that every young person gets a chance to meet and engage with and ask questions of people who are at the top of their game um, and then also that they can do work experience and bulk up their cv and make great choices for their own
1: futures absolutely so look what does education and policy director in that organization do what, what are you largely responsible for um,
3: so part of it is about talking to government and making sure that government um, is aware of what we're up to and that we can partner as effectively as possible, but also to partner as broadly as we can. So um, we're in a really privileged position in the voluntary sector in that we have great technology platforms and there aren't many charities that have that opportunity and that have that investment and internal expertise. So part of my job is to make sure that we're partnering with all the many other brilliant organizations who are looking to tackle social mobility and using our technology to collaborate and to to make sure that all of us can reach as many children and young people as possible.
1: and And one of the things that you're specifically working on is is the campaign predicts, right?
3: Absolutely. So we have a number of campaigns each year and predict is a real focus for us, um, especially over the summer. So it's all about um, making sure that young people can see in the future world of work, the incredible role that technology is going to play and, and is already playing, you know, kind of the Rapidly changing opportunities that technology brings is changing almost every organisation. You know, whether you're working in, in in retail or, or banking or you know in the technology sector itself. You know, the 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 tools that we have available to us are changing so quickly, which is changing the nature of our jobs so quickly. So, um, we've secured eleven thousand placements for for young people, um, and all of them are in businesses where technology is really important. So, young people have that opportunity to. Have an online work experience placement with a business, and to understand very broadly what that business does, but in the context of of technological transformation.
1: So, I, I suppose the interesting question on this point, right, is is you ask businesses to reflect on how they operate, and then help use that data to help prepare young people for the world of work.
3: Yeah, exactly. but
1: we're in a time right now <laughs> when a lot of businesses aren't entirely sure themselves, right?
3: Exactly, and that's the interesting thing, isn't it? I think as much as anything it's really useful for a young person to understand that nobody has all the answers you know that there are some aspects of you know how a particular profession or role operates which is relatively set and you know you can talk to a young person about your own career journey and and how you got to to where you are but actually you know the world is changing rapidly and you know technology is a part of that so um, it's also about equipping young people to shape their own futures and to shape the future of of you know, whatever career they choose, as much as it is about helping them understand where we are now.
1: And when we say online work experience or placements, wh- what are we talking about? Because this isn't an internship, right? This this is this is if I think back to work experience, to me that meant two weeks in an architect's firm when I was kind of I think I was 15, I might have been 16, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, <laughs> being allowed to draw some technical drawings probably badly and making some cups of tea. So yeah. well, is, is, that, is that kind of the updated <laughs> version of what we're on about?
3: Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like your placement wasn't bad. And um, a part of this that I can't even reflect on how many meetings i've sat in um, where everyone said it's really difficult to secure the number of work experience placements that we need for for young people so even if you're looking at an absolute minimum which might be one week you know in, in your school career which really isn't enough um it's still really really hard to secure enough high quality placements for all young people so although um by necessity we went online during the pandemic actually i think having a mixture of in-person and and virtual work experience placements in the future will mean that every young person can hopefully do more than one, maybe do you know, three, four or five or more to really understand different sectors and and different opportunities. So what it literally means is that on a Monday morning you might crack open your laptop um, you would go into Google classrooms where you would be with a group of other young people, you would meet a range of people from the business so um, different people would talk to you about what they do, they might be able to um, sometimes people literally show you around their work environment and kind of take their laptop around actually sometimes people work from home themselves and you know they can they can reflect on how they connect with their colleagues at this time um you would meet different people from the organization you would be given a project which you would work on through the week um with with your peers um you would get direct feedback um from the business on on that project you know the kind of feedback that develops you and and helps you to to learn and grow and, and move forward as well and you would have an experience which is as close as possible to actually being in that organization and and doing that job um whilst also having the, the the opportunity to you know to meet senior people meet people in their early career and you know have a discussion with them and and talk to them and, and question them and, and hear their point of view
1: yeah well look all of which is absolutely fantastic I, I suppose the the interesting thing and the tricky thing for for me to kind of get my head around and this might be wholly naive but you know I, I think about office-based work i think about the tertiary sector i think about kind of services professional services all very much office-based um as you know as up until 18 months ago uh, and going to work was that apprentice idea wasn't it? you get those sh- sh- those awful shots um, yeah. of london from the skyline and people putting on suits and whatever else but I, I remember my work experience again if i reflect back to that it was different it was going into an office and going somewhere different and not going to school
3: yeah and
1: kind of you know you you open up your laptop and you're into a google classroom it's like that's kind of similar to what the kids have been doing in education so is there an element of trying to get that slight excitement or, or do you think that still exists regardless is that me being really naive and stuck in my stuck in my thinking
3: I think it's really important that we have a mixture. So young people I've been speaking to, when I talked to them about what they want to get out of their work experience, part of it is absolutely that sense of being at work. And, you know, is this uh, a workplace that I can enjoy and, and thrive in? What they also want to get out of it, though, is to really understand how what they're learning relates to a job. So, you know, if I'm you know whether it's you know learning computing qualifications or in maths or English or, or French or whatever it is. How does my classroom experience connect to the world of work? Um, and they also really want to understand. Um, you know, is this a culture that I can be part of? Are these people I can see myself working alongside? Something else that's really important to, to young people I've spoken to is that actually business people can help them develop their essential skills, so things like leadership, teamwork, problem solving. You know, the, the the small team that you might work with on a shared project might actually be the most practical team working opportunity you've ever had before you get the opportunity to actually, you know, get a proper job and, and get out there and, and apply your skills in the real world. So whereas that kind of practical, you know, I'm at work, this is what it's like moment is really vital. And you know, in in the future, it'll be really important to have a combination of in-person and, and virtual. I think virtual work experience can tick a lot of the boxes for what um young people are are, you know want to get out of and helping hoping to get out of a work experience and they're so savvy you know like i'm so amazed by how many young people are really thoughtful and really reflective about you know how they want to use their time and and what they want to get out of their work experience so i think if you're a young person being well prepared you know whether your own reflections or or at school you can make sure that you get the maximum value from from the experience that you have whether it's online or in person.
1: So I suppose one of the other things that I wanted to just quiz around is how you're finding that balance. I I suppose there's this trade-off right at the minute that you're a social mobility charity um, and you're talking to state school kids, some of whom might come from rural areas or areas which are quite um, deprived in some regards with regards to to work. I I grew up in the northeast, grew up in southeast Northumberland. Um, Newcastle was the only real option in, in terms of Office work, I suppose, uh, but there there are parts of Northumberland that are far more rural than the one I grew up in, and, and travel to an office and so on would have been a would have been a barrier to people, not in quite the same way that it is now, but at the same point in time some parts of those countries don't have the best internet connectivity or, or families might not have access to the technology they need. So on the one hand, there's this removal of barriers because you're not constrained by geographies. But at the same time, there is that technology, that sorry that digital divide that exists in society. So how, how are you trying to make sure that whilst one set of barriers is removed, we also tackle the other ones that do certainly exist?
3: Absolutely, and and that first set of barriers and be able to address them is really exciting. Like I was, I'm um, recently talking to a young person called. Bo, who lives in Birmingham, and was able to get a work experience at Cornwall Space Centre, like that just wouldn't be possible, you amazing. know, for a young, young person from Birmingham. And you know, he's he's had the opportunity to to learn about getting into space, um, which is amazing. So, um, and as you said, you know, for for many young people, you know, living in rural coastal communities, you know, the ability to to access a wide range of experiences that just wouldn't be possible if they were limited to you know where they could travel to on on the bus in the morning. So that's incredibly exciting, and you know, it means that young people can people make big decisions in their lives don't they whether it's you know age 18 or or a little bit older you know you might move across the country for a job or for a career so having the opportunity to to really understand in advance what that might mean and you know to get all the information you can is is vital um on the second issue around digital divide that is easier now that you can at least be in school so during the periods of lockdown when schools were closed that was really tough um but now if a young person doesn't have um sometimes it can be a question of not having a laptop at home or not having broadband at home or just not having the space you know you can be in a crowded home with siblings knocking around and you know it's just not useful um to to be trying to to focus whilst sitting sitting on your bed Um, so yeah so now that schools are open again and young people at least have the option of being able to maybe sit in a library or or a quiet classroom and hopefully we can be addressing some of those issues but you know it's a broader long-term challenge it's not just about the work it's for its placement it's about the ability to do homework it's about the ability to you know to research career you, know, you come off your placement and you're so excited to think about your future but you know where's the you know the access to the internet that you need to then you know be able to research the the careers options that that might come next so yeah tackling the digital divide is vital
1: so look as, as a last point i, I think what the charity is doing is amazing um yeah, I think it. Let's let's make sure that I get this stat right. But eleven thousand young people in state schools and, and colleges across the UK are undertaking work experience, right? And and you mentioned that there is a need for more opportunities for these young people. So, if someone's listening and they run a technology department of a large bank or an insurance firm or something like that, yeah. what should they do?
3: Yeah. So just go to Speakers to Schools online, Google us, find us. Um, we have an online portal. Um, if you already have um, an idea about how you might want to run your placement, then um, you can just advertise that with us and we'll find the young people who are right for you. Young people can apply through the portal. You'll receive a, a list of, of young people who are interested in, in their personal statements. We'll also do all we can to make sure that you're able to target the young people who, who need it most. So young people from the most private communities, young people on free school meals, maybe who are care experienced. Um, We'll do all the work to make sure that the young people who we send through to you are the young people who would benefit most Um, if you need some help to design the placement then we'd love to do that with you as well so um, if it's thinking about you know who's best from the business to to come and speak or what's the project that you might want to design or actually how do you make it really exciting and and interactive yeah we'd love to work with you to, to make that happen so just sign up to the portal it's really straightforward a human will talk to you so there's that good combination of um online facilitation you know you can sign up and, and advertise and, and reach young people online, but we also have a team of people who can make sure that you're happy and comfortable and, and confident um, about what you're offering um, before it goes live. So, yeah, super keen to have all of those conversations.
1: Perfect. Well, look, it's been a pleasure to speak to you. Um, fingers crossed, the work continues to to provide those opportunities for for kids that might not have had them otherwise. Amazing. Thanks so much. Right, I, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna risk putting my foot in it here. I think you went to state school.
2: I always get really confused.
1: Oh, God. <laughs> did your mum and dad pay?
2: Did my mum, no, no, what, for school? Oh, yeah. no, no, is that, that's a you state went, you school? You went to state school. Oh, yeah. okay, no, no, I went to state
1: school. Yeah, yeah pu- public public, school or private school is, you know, the posh one that you pay. That's state it. school is the one that the, you know, the oics get thrown into with everybody else like you and me, I guess.
2: That's the one. And I think the fact that I didn't know the answer to that probably proves <laughs> that I did not go to um, a private or public school. Um, yeah, no, I went to state school. My school was incredibly, incredibly rough. Um, yeah, it, it was. Um, so I went to the same school, obviously, as my sister, and she's two years older than me. And I remember on my first day, we were like walking to the school and she was giving me like a whole sort of debrief. You know, don't do this, do this. Watch out for this and and sort of was, yeah, sort of prepping me. And um and then as I walked into the school gates, there was just like a massive clump of hair on the floor. Like a nice. massive clump of girls' hair and it's ex- like a big ball of extensions. And I was like, oh God, like this'll be fun. So you went to state school. Oh, I as I well? went
1: to I went to a shitty school. No, no, that's not fair. <laughs> it's not a shitty school. It did very good by me. But my mum and dad sent me to the local um comprehensive because they felt that it was important that I I suppose had those lessons I don't know no in fairness as I think I said in the interview my mum and dad I can't remember if I said this in the interview before recording now actually but, I, but my mum who's a teacher looked at the grades of the selective school in our town versus the grades of just the normal state school they were both state schools but one one had a kind of a, a selective entrance exam and the selective school despite having the cherry pick of students was getting exactly the same results so my mum said actually it was better to send you to a state school which had some more obvious problems because the teachers Mm. were obviously doing more with the kids to get them up to the same standard which is you know logical
2: no that's yeah I don't I I can't say that my mum and dad really thought that much into it to be honest um I think it was just where my sister went and it was just yeah the closest one it was sort of walking distance so um I can't say a great deal of thought went into it, but I, um, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it a great deal. Like I thought it was yeah. brilliant.
1: So look, the point for all of that kind of massive chat before we even get into the interview is that I'm, I'm lucky. I had mum and dad who went to university and I knew about opportunities, but there were a lot of my friends whose parents were from the same town, um, They hadn't gone to university. A lot of my friends were first time to university in their families and it was all new to them. And what Speakers for Schools are doing now in opening up the the, the eyes to people about what is possible through giving them work placements, through preparing them for work. It's the kind of thing that if you've gone to state school in, in a part of the country where uh, maybe maybe there are there are fewer opportunities, and without someone showing you, your mum and dad can't necessarily give you that perspective. It is so important.
2: Yeah, no, definitely because I think I mean I was the first person in my family to go to to, to get A levels and to go to university. Really? Um, yeah. yeah. So my my sister didn't sort of do any of that, and you're right. I think obviously I, I sort of know people that have gone to uni or like family friends and stuff that have gone there but you're right you, you you know some people don't have that that kind of they're not privileged in that sense so you know for this um you know what what these kind of, these guys offer um yeah I think it's it's amazing because obviously it gives people the opportunity to sort of to learn more learn about their next steps learn about the world of work and I think she makes a really important point as well around and um, she sort of mentioned something about like it's actual practical stuff that you'll we'll use in the real world. And I thought that was really interesting because it's not just, you know, Pythagoras or something that you just never use ever again that's just sort of goes in one ear and out the next. So yeah. this is actual sort of practical stuff that you can say, yep, you know, I'm going to use that every single day. It's really helpful. It's, it's helped me, you know, yeah, just develop and, and actually sort of learn new stuff that's, that's kind of valuable. So, um, yeah, I thought it was a great idea. And you know what? I also thought um, the like the the whole I can the actual name of the project now. But the, the 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 virtual kind of um like work experience. Predict. Predict, that's it. I thought that was amazing. Like I don't know why. It seems like such a, a simple but clever idea. Like mm. the way over the last year everything has gone online, all of you know, companies have had to adapt and obviously you know, put everything on sort of teams and and zoom and and sort of places like that. Why would you then not put work experience online as well? It just seems like such a like i said a simple idea, but also it's it's just so effective I can imagine it's it's really like they've just done so well with that i think it's yeah i don't know i, I was I was kind of listening to the interview and I was like that is amazing i'm I'm actually so i wish I had that opportunity
1: yeah i mean it's the kind of thing that as well that is so important for you know, for young people to see how tech is changing jobs across the sector, creating innovative business ideas, etc. You know, that, that's the kind of the the speak that you get from from speakers for schools around it, which is right. But I think it's more than that. It's like teachers themselves can't explain what's going on because anyone in any line of work in any business right now is adapting and changing to. Their, their business going through a period of transition. Like where we are right now within Harvey Nash Group is not where we were six months ago, is not where we were 12 months ago, is not where we will be in six months and is not where we will be in 12 months. So kids have to get into these businesses and experience it and know what's going on and see that they're really fluid environments. And I just don't think they're going to get that at school with the best will in the world to teachers. And you know, there will be some teachers who are coming to it who have experienced corporate culture, mm. like Courtney, who used to be a co-host on this podcast, used to work at Harvey Nash Group. She's now qualified as a teacher. She'll be a brilliant advocate for people to to understand what the world of works like because she's not gone straight into teaching. But there are a lot of teachers who have gone straight into teaching, haven't worked in corporate environments, and don't know what it's like.
2: Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think, um, like you say, it, I mean, it's it, sometimes it's 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 like you try to say something or, or teach something about some uh, to, to someone about something you don't even know yourselves so as you say if they've never actually worked in a corporate environment how can they kind of give these real life experiences and it actually sort of yeah. be valuable and making sense to people when they've never had that opportunity
1: themselves like and that's not me having a go at teachers by the way as i said my mom was a teacher my mom i think was a brilliant teacher by all accounts um but my mom and my dad do not have a clue about the world of work in which i operate like they don't have a clue. My dad's a vicar and my mum is a teacher and they just do not get corporate environments.
2: Do you think that if they this is a bit off topic, but do you think if they went into a corporate environment, like how do you think they would respond? Like would it be completely out of their comfort zone?
1: My dad, yeah, totally. Like uber academic, like sitting in a study doing things uh their way. My mum, I think, would probably be quite flexible and adaptable, but just mm. hasn't ever experienced it. I think my dad would would be useless in a corporate environment (laughs) trained as an archaeologist and then in the church it's like no no that's not suited to 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 the world of work in which we operate but different set of skills like i couldn't do that because i don't think i'd be disciplined enough
2: yeah you you mentioned your work experience in this as well didn't you and Mm. i think obviously i just mentioned i think this predict program is like a really great idea I think with the type of work experience that you did do you think you would struggle just sitting behind a computer and and doing that type of work experience like obviously by the sounds of it I mean I don't know exactly what it was like but it sounds quite practical quite hands-on so do you think you would have struggled if you were just doing that like sat behind a screen yeah
1: probably yeah probably because because I I was lucky that the architects took me out to various different sites and got to kind of have a look around and do some technical architectural drawings. And it was like one of those fleeting things. You know, the other thing, like what, you're 15, 16 years old when you do work experience and you've got a notion of what it is that you might want to do when you grow. But yeah. to be perfectly fair, you don't know. You don't know when you get told to make your university choices. The fact that kids are told that they need to basically make this massive life decision at 17 is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was 25. So actually giving giving you, making you kind of choose as if it's your, like your future career is bullshit basically, but giving you an opportunity just to see what the world of work's like and helping you then start to figure out what it is that you might want to do years down the line, that's quite helpful. I think there's too much onus placed on young people to work out what their life should be at an early stage.
2: Yeah, that's so true. Because everyone's like, by 25, I want to be doing this and yeah. have this it's ridiculous and, it's and, ridiculous yeah and it's like really i'm thinking christ well i'm 25 and i don't have a clue like i don't have the answer to a lot of these questions Yeah, and probably won't oh, have no. the answer for a very long time
1: <laughs> yeah i remember when i was like 18 i used to say things like yeah by this age I'll, I'll kind of have this sorted out and you're told that that's what you should do and then you get to the age and you're like i still have none of this sorted out and i don't even know where
2: <laughs> <You're> <laughs> like, know? oh god yeah i know what you mean there's so much like pressure isn't it it's it's just so much like yeah you just have to have things sorted out and in reality it's kind of like we're all human i think all of us are still sort of fumbling about and just trying to work things out um but
1: giving giving kids opportunities to go and try different work experiences fundamentally will help you figure out what it is that you don't i think it's more a case of figuring out what you don't like at that stage
2: yeah i agree because i went to um i went to a school actually and was like a sort of like a teaching assistant for the the couple of weeks of work experience by the end of it i realized that i don't ever really want to work in a school in my entire life um so yeah you're right it's just about figuring out the stuff that isn't that appealing and isn't really that interesting and then you can start to actually sort of hone in on right i really like this this is the stuff that does you know really excite me and this is kind of what i want to do um, and i think if you can start to eliminate things and it helps with that then i mean ultimately it's a good thing
1: yeah totally totally brilliant to hear someone like Robert Peston using his, um, his name and celebrity to do something really positive. You know, we started by talking about Marcus Rashford. He's used his name and celebrity to do wonderful things. Isn't it great when we hear about people like Marcus Rashford and Robert Besson going out of their way to help others? So kudos there. We'll go to an advert break. And When we come back, we'll talk about uh, Cambridge One. A couple of years ago, Michael and Jacob, two friends from London, were both thinking about their consumption and sustainability as a whole. Michael, a professional footballer at the time, realised he had no options when it came to sustainable sportswear. Overconsumption and underuse was all too common. Hilo was born, a sportswear brand fighting for the planet by changing mindsets. They've started with a running shoe made with seven natural materials, and the shoe can be recycled at the end of its life. As a company, they've offset their carbon to beyond zero, making them carbon-negative. You can find out more about Hilo and support their mission at hiloathletics.com. That's H-Y-L-O. We support the Hilo movement. Right, so welcome back to the show. We're going to talk very quickly about the UK's most powerful supercomputer, uh, Cambridge One, which is a a supercomputer that represents a $100 million investment from the US-based company, NVIDIA. and this is all about making sense of the massive data sets that the UK has at its at its disposal via its biobank, which I didn't even know that we had a biobank, but there we go.
2: I didn't know that we had a biobank. And and to be honest, I'm just getting my head around this this supercomputer as well.
1: <laughs> well, what it's what it's basically saying is that obviously it's it's crunching and using AI uh as best as it can to come up with. More nuanced treatments. It talks a little bit about in the in the article rather about the field of immuno oncology. So, for example, existing medicines harness um, a patient's own immune system to fight cancer, but it isn't always apparent which patient patients will will gain the most benefit from the drugs. Some of that information is hidden in imaging of tumors, etc. So, Cambridge One can be a, a, a help infusing. Uh, the different data sets and building large models that help determine the best course of treatment for patients so it's it's crunching down data and making sure that that we can deliver better care and therefore better outcomes to patients and the article goes on to basically say that the UK is is ahead in this like only the UK has the ingredients to take advantage advantage of this computing ability because of the huge resources of data. So we've got structured data sets like the Biobank, but also a wide range of clinicians via the NHS. Um, and basically GSK, uh, I quoted as, as saying, this is why GSK built an AI team and AI hubs in London and not in San Francisco, where, they, where that person was.
2: Is this... Has this come about because of COVID or is this something that, that, well, I suppose it's obviously been in the pipeline for a long time, but has COVID kind of sped this up?
1: or I don't think COVID would have sped this up. If anything, it probably would have slowed it down slightly. I, I think that there's long been this discussion that actually the UK is in this brilliant melting pot because of having the scientific community, um, the technology community, and everything all in this kind of melting pot. You've got Cambridge, you've got London there geographically, what? 30 40 miles apart
2: I think yeah about that
1: whereas in the states you might have stuff in in San Francisco but you've got you've got tech in San Francisco but you don't have this pool of clinicians in quite the same way on your doorstep like you'll have pockets of something on the west coast something on the east coast something you know but those cities are thousands of miles apart whereas in the UK you've got this little triangle of Oxford, Cambridge, and London, where you've basically got all the ingredients you need to pull together industries. And whereas, yeah, we don't make the, like, the super tech companies that the states make, but we can bring together a lot of industries to bear and and to focus on on problems in a way that few other countries can do.
2: See, that sounds to me like the ingredients to take over the world. It sounds like world domination. It sounds like world domination right there. That's what it sounds like. Do you think, do you I think don't
1: know about <laughs> I don't know about world domination, but it's certainly uh, it's certainly. Let's put it this way: in in as we're coming out of lockdowns, I'm not going to say out of the pandemic because I'm not sure that's true, but out of lockdowns anyway, and out of restrictions, and and people are trying to kind of find positives and and stuff that can kind of go, you know. And certainly now that Brexit's happened, it, like what what can we as a country be world leaders in? There's question marks with this, I suppose, around personal data and, and privacy, and it's talking about using anonymous data sets. And some people say that you can't ever truly anonymize data sets. But I think there's a lot here to be positive about. And it's 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 a story worth sharing and amplifying and saying, hey, you know, if you're looking for a blueprint about why the UK can be really competitive, despite everything else that's going on, that proximity of a number of different industries. And we've said this on the podcast before over over different periods in time we had a company called okra from cambridge on maybe about a year and a half two years ago and it was a similar kind of story so it's great to see something like this happening and kind of actually there being um something tangible to say yeah not only is it the case that there's all these different companies and we can do stuff like this here's an example of us actually doing something like this
2: it's like the it sounds really simple way of looking at it but it's like the proof's in the pudding isn't it it's like if you can you can sort of talk about these things, but the fact that we're actually now starting to do it and there's evidence and obviously there's this article that people go and have a look at as well. Like it's, um, I, I don't really, i like, so I know it sounds really stupid, but obviously this is a computer, right? Yeah. Obviously. But I mean, looking at this picture that's on this, um, this article that you shared, this looks like enormous.
1: Well, in the article, it talks about it being, uh several refrigerators um yeah it does look enormous if you can imagine gathering ganging up 10 refrigerators in a row and then having several rows of these refrigerators there you
2: go right okay pretty big yeah it's
1: pretty big just i mean given g- given how much your phone can do
2: yeah that's a very good way of looking at it, actually this is um like i said this is world domination right here <laughs> right here this is um Interesting.
1: Well, there we go. Well, fingers crossed they, they can make medical breakthroughs because right now we could really do with some medical breakthroughs, um, making sure that we're able to carry on living in a, in a way that we're used to. Um, apart from that, uh, I think we should draw the episode to a close. It's Friday. Um, we're recording this actually bizarrely early in the week, so we've got no idea if tonight went well or not. Um, but fingers crossed we're all in a happy mood by the time this comes out with regards to football.
2: Dave, don't jinx
1: us. Have a lovely evening, Amber.
2: And you.